Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, I hope you were able to connect with a few people. Uh, you know, we, we just really came to understanding that this greeting time is more important than just shake a hand of the person beside you. We want this to be a time where you do get to meet someone new, where you get to walk across the auditorium and say hello. And so I thought we should make this more intentional. But um, uh, for those of you who might be new, I want to introduce myself. My name's Van Cochran. I'm the lead pastor here. And I wanted to start our service just with a, a real brief word on the, this week's coming events and the election. Did you know we have an election coming up? I know. Big surprise, huh? Um, you know, for many of us, it can't come and get behind us fast enough. Um, it's been, been, been a very uh, divisive uh, time for us as a nation and us as a people, I think. And a lot of people are wondering what to do. I thought I should take just a moment and address that. I have a few words. Some people will look at the whole thing and they'll just say, well, we're just not going to vote. I'm not going to vote. Okay. And um, I'm free not to vote. This is a free country and don't have to vote. I just don't want to be part of it. And, and, what, and that's true. You are, we're free. We can make that choice. You have to make that choice for yourself. But I want to give you my perspective on how I process that, all right? In uh, Romans 13.1, it says that each person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And so it's saying there that we are to, it, one way to look at that is simply obey the laws, Okay. But I take that a little further, and I think it means be a good citizen in whatever governmental system you're under. And, and so for me to be a good citizen, I look at it and I say, well, our governing structure is established on the basis of citizens voting to determine who's going to be in office and who not. And so for myself, I look at that and I say, well, then, uh, it, uh, while I'm free to choose, free to choose doesn't mean... I am free of responsibility. And so I look at it. This is just me, how I look at it. I feel like it's my responsibility. So I look at it as not just a privilege, but also a responsibility. So I vote. Um, Other people look at the whole thing, and and they come down with an attitude or with a position that's really strongly for one and against the other. And in a lot of elections, that could happen, and you could still say pretty good-natured. In this election, it's kind of hard to do that and maintain a really good, free heart. And I would encourage you to listen to my message from last week where I talked about that and about the importance of us not taking up an offense or a cause, because when we do that, we, we embrace anger and bitterness in our hearts. And if I embrace anger and bitterness in my heart, then it dulls my whole spiritual sensitivities. And and it uh, really keeps me from fulfilling my primary mission here on this earth. And the Bible says that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And so we really have to recognize that, that we got to keep clean hearts. Last week I talked about that a little bit more in length than this. Some people would look at it and say... I don't want either one of them. You know, I, I can't decide, and uh, neither one of them, you know, look appealing to me. And uh, that's particularly true in this election. And if that's hard, if, if for you it's hard to get behind either major candidate, there are a few options. One of them is you look at the candidate's party platform. 
look at their party platform and what does it say. And, and generally, that's kind of what they're representing. And look at the one which is most biblical. You know, what, what's, what's, what's the thing that I find that I can support most fully? You can make a decision based on that and then just ignore the candidates and vote for the party platform. You could um, ask yourself which of these candidates will have the least negative impact if that's how you're looking at it. And, and, and make your decision based on that. Or um, you can vote for one of the other two candidates, Greenpeace, Libertarian. They both have candidates on the ballot as well. Do that. Whatever you do, I think it's, it's important that we do something informed. And uh, even if it's a civil protest withdrawal, that's an informed, conscious decision that a person would make. But um, here, here's the bottom line. Whoever is elected, we're trusting God, all right? And Proverbs says this. It says, uh, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And so it's, like, it's just like saying, okay, the king's heart is in God's hand. Just like he has uh, a handful of water, he can tip his hand that way or he can tip his hand that way. And so we trust God with it. And, um, and what we're going to do next Wednesday is we're going to get up, we're going to, we're going to honor the king. That's what the Bible says, honor the king. We don't have a king here, but we're going to honor whoever's in that office. And the Bible says that we are to pray for those in authority over us so that we can live uh, peaceful, productive lives. We're going to pray for whoever's in that office and, and all the other leaders that are elected. And we're going to recognize this, okay, folks, here's the bottom line. We are primarily first foremost citizens of heaven, okay? We got to realize that. We are citizens of heaven. And our tie is to the kingdom of God. And our our goal is to bring heaven to earth. That's what we're about. That's who we are as a church body. That's what our vision is. That that's what our purpose is. And that purpose isn't going to change. And the truth of the matter is, the kingdom of God coming to earth is not dependent upon human institutions. It's dependent upon church bodies that walk in the power and life of the Holy Spirit. And so as we do that, then we're going to fulfill our call. And the way nations change is not through legislation. I'm, I'm all for good legislation, don't get me wrong. But it's not where our hope is. Our hope is in God's presence and God's re renewal of lives and changing lives. And as lives are changed and as there is like sweeping revival across a nation, that nation changes. And, and that's, that's what we're looking for. That's what our job is. And so uh, don't, don't let your heart, your emotions, or hope for the future get wrapped up in this election. Because the kingdom of God does not depend upon who sits in the Oval Office. It depends upon God's sovereign desire to express himself in this world. And he's chosen to express himself through us. And so we're going to stay on track. We're going to stay on target, whatever happens. We're just going to keep the same mission going we've always had, which is to welcome heaven to earth. Okay? All right? Everybody agreed to that? All right. All right. So, Father... We trust you. We love you. We pray blessing on uh, not only this nation, but all the nations in this world. We know you love all the nations. Uh, Lord, uh, my mind goes to the believers in uh, northern Iraq that are being slaughtered by ISIS right now. Help them.
Jesus, help them. Let's be with them and, 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 and bring them through this. But Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come, for your kingdom to come in our nation and in all the nations on this planet. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome everyone to Vineyard Northwest. My name is Amanda and I serve here in house group, our young adult ministry. And if it's your first time here, we'd like to especially welcome you. You're so, we're so glad that you're here. You're always welcome to come worship with us here. If it is your first time, we'd love for you to stop in the atrium on your way out and pick up um, a gift that we just have for you to thank you for coming. It's a worship CD. And if you wouldn't mind to fill out the connect card, which is in the seat pocket in front of you, you can leave that in the offering later on in the service or at the welcome center. That would just help us get to know a little bit more about you as well. So there's a few things going on around here that I'd like to mention. And first are the healing rooms. So our School of Kingdom Ministry, who in here has been a part of School of Kingdom Ministry or is a part of it? Awesome. So School of Kingdom Ministry is hosting healing rooms next Sunday and the Sunday after November 13th and November 20th. And this is just a night where we'll just have anyone who needs physical or emotional healing can come and receive prayer. So we would like to welcome you to come to that and to bring anyone you know that could receive healing that night. And second is the kids' summer camp. So parents in here, I'm sure you've heard your kids talking about summer camp coming up. So this is for kids that are right now in third grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade. And registration opens this weekend. It's the least expensive price right now. So you can pick up a postcard over in Kids Jam and fill out a registration and leave your deposit there for that. But this is going to be awesome. This is one of the first times we've done this in a while. And this is a camp that I grew up going to and I've had a lot of fun at. So your kids will probably come really excited about that today. So make sure you check that out in the Kids Gym area. And last is in December, the first weekend of December, December 3rd and 4th, we will have two special guests here, Happy and Diane Lehman. They are the pastors of the Central Illinois Vineyard, and that's the church that our founding pastors, Van and Lori Cochran, were at for about five years before they started this church. And that's where Van and Lori learned a lot about Holy Spirit ministry and leadership and got to grow under Happy and Die. And so they're kind of like our church grandparents, one set of our grandparents here. So that's going to be a really fun weekend having them here. So just mark your calendars for that to make sure that you're here that weekend. There's a lot of more information in your programs about things going on around here, so make sure you check those out, too. And now I'd like to welcome up my friend Luke Hazelmeyer, and he's going to share the message with us today. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Great to be here with you guys this morning. Excited for today. Um, So... <laughs> Who enjoyed the extra hour of sleep? Yeah. The first service was packed. <laughs> More than I've seen it in a while. And can't help but believe that that had something to do with it. Um, so I had a eventful weekend this weekend. <laughs> in case you don't know, uh, my girlfriend Jamie and I got engaged on Friday.
I totally knew they were going to do that. I was supposed to act surprised. <laughs> that was great. Um, so we've been in this series on developing the prophetic culture. And because of that, I just want to share with you a um, prophetic experience that I had before Jamie and I actually started dating about a year ago. Um, I had, I have a friend named Maria Carlson and okay. Some people like Maria. That's cool. (laughs) And Maria has encouraged me prophetically a number of times. And so just to give you some context to the word that she shared with me, that was really powerful for me to hear. Um, when, I first realized that I had feelings for Jamie. I knew that I didn't want to rush into a relationship because the last relationship that I was in, I did that and things didn't really work out very well. And so this time I had resolved that I'm going to take my time. And so I actually prayed and asked God, hey, God, um, this is on March 1st of 2015. I'm like, hey, Lord, uh, um, I'm feeling this. I don't know if it could actually happen, but... If it could, how long would you want me to wait? And I felt like he told me to wait for seven months. And so that was on March 1st. And so I was supposed to actually said, don't even think about it until October 1st is what I thought he said. Not in like a mean way. Don't think about dating her, you know, (laughs) just kind of like, don't bother yourself by really spending a lot of time thinking about it until, um, till so October 1st, seven months from March 1st. So that's what I did. I didn't really uh, spend a whole lot of time thinking about it, and um, but I was eagerly waiting for October 1st to come <laughs> so that I could start thinking about it and talking to my friends about it and, see, and my family and seeing what everyone thinks. Um, and so through that seven months, um, it became clear that this could be something that um, could happen. And so I just... We could have probably dated before then, but I wanted to honor what I felt like God was saying. And so waited till October 1st. And on October 1st, it was a Thursday. And we have house groups on Thursday and Friday. And so on that Thursday, house group happens at Blue Ash at Karen Carlson's house. And then Maria comes up and grabs me afterwards. And Maria had never heard anything about the seven months that I was going to wait She didn't know anything about my personal situation. She didn't even know that Jamie and I were interested in each other. But she walked up to me and she said, Hey, Luke, so I uh, felt like God spoke to me for you on your birthday in May. Birthday is May 7th. Felt like he spoke to me then, but told me not to share it with you right away. And that he would let me know when it was time to share it with you. I don't know what that meant. Maybe I was like glowing or something, but somehow... (laughs) Somehow, that night, October 1st, she felt like God said, okay, here's the time, share this word with him. And so then she told me, I, have, I feel like God spoke to me about your future wife, and that you two would be like salt and pepper seasoning the earth. And also, he showed me that there is a steak in front of you right now, and that it's time for you to eat it. And so, I was like... Okay, talk about confirmation. In case you didn't get that, seven months to the day that I felt like God told me to wait, that word comes out of the blue. 
So, <laughs> um, that just shows you the, that what makes a prophetic word powerful. What makes a prophetic word powerful isn't so much the words we use. And I would even argue that it's not always the accuracy of what we say. What makes it powerful is the timeliness. It's a, she could have given me that word a week earlier, and I still would have been encouraged. But the fact that it was on the day is what really made it powerful for me. And so there was actually a couple other words that I received that were amazing. Um, Kendra Barrow, who goes to this church, she has encouraged me a number of times. And she actually felt like God spoke to her about my future wife in June of 2014. And she wrote it down on a piece of paper and dated it. And it was a prayer for my future wife. And didn't feel released to give it to me for 18 months. So she carried it around in her purse for 18 months. Then, without knowing that we had started dating, within 24 hours of Jamie and I becoming FBO, you know, Facebook official. That's how you know it's... <laughs> within 24 hours of becoming Facebook official, she comes up to me and she says, Hey, I feel like God released me to give this to you now. And gives it to me, and I open it up. It's dated from June 1st, 2014, 18 months earlier. A prayer for my future wife. And um, so that the timeliness of that blew me away also. But also, one of the things I really appreciated about Kendra and Maria when they shared these words with me is that the tone wasn't like, hey, you better marry Jamie, you know. <laughs> It wasn't telling me what to do. It was more so an encouraging, it was an encouragement from God about the situation. It was almost like I was hearing God's heart for me as I was considering this big decision. And I think that's when prophetic ministry is at its best. When it's not so much telling us what to do or what not to do, but exposing to us God's heart for the situation. And then when we understand God's heart, we can choose to act on that word. You know, God is not in the business of control or manipulation. And that's why the prophetic ministry that has been abused often looks controlling and manipulating. And unfortunately, we can get an accurate word from God. We can receive from him a correct word, but we can communicate it in an incorrect tone an incorrect way. We can hear what God is saying, but then we can say it how he's not saying it. It's kind of like when you're communicating with somebody over a text or email, you know, they can, someone can send you like a phrase and you can read it and you can take that thing like 10 different ways. You know, it's like if I, if I ask someone, Hey, would you be willing to give me a ride to church this morning? And they respond with like, Sure. I can either take that as, sure, I'd love to give you a ride, or, sure, you're so annoying. (laughs) And so, unfortunately, we can receive an accurate word from God, but then we can communicate it in an inaccurate tone, and we oftentimes harm the person more than help them when we do that, even when the word is right. So... 
that's what I love about this prophetic community that we have, this uh, prophetic culture, is that we are both learning how to give accurate words, but also give accurate expressions and communication of those words. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great night. Um, I was so nervous beforehand. And usually I don't get nervous about things. Um, I'm usually, I like to be in control of my life. And I like to be in control of my emotions. And I usually do a pretty good job of whether it's control or suppression, who knows. But <laughs> I, I usually do a pretty good job of remaining in control and not letting stuff get to me. But like the two hours before I was going to see her on Friday, I like felt like I was going to throw up the entire time. <laughs> I even came in here and played piano for an hour trying to calm my nerves. Didn't really help. Um, and then uh, we went downtown and went to a restaurant there. I actually walked her out to the fountain by Fountain Square. And as we were walking, I told her those two prophetic words and a couple more that I, that I haven't shared for the first time. I had saved those um, since we started dating. And then uh, it, was, it was a complete surprise. So I was really worried she had found out. I was just paranoid. Like every little thing that she would say to me the week before, I was like, she knows. Um, but she was totally surprised. And then I had a surprise after party for her and her grandparents from Florida were able to come in who, uh, basically raised her. And so, uh, she was surprised there too. So it was cool. Okay. So again, we're in this series, um, prophetic culture. And when I think of prophetic, usually what comes to mind is what God is saying. But really, I think a good definition of prophetic is what God is revealing. So a prophetic culture is a culture that is pressing into what God is revealing. Now, God has revealed scripture. And the only place we find doctrines in Christianity is in the Bible. So nothing that God is saying prophetically is becoming a doctrine. Meaning it's not becoming something that we apply to everyone in all circumstances, like we do with doctrines in Scripture. But what God is is revealing in the moment oftentimes gives us his heart about specific situations that we can't find in here. If I wanted to know, hey, Lord, what do you think about me and Jamie potentially dating? Unfortunately, I'm not going to find anything really specific that is going to help me out in here. I might find general things. But it, won't be able to, it will not be able to impact me the way that the words that I got impacted me. And so, um, but those words were for me and not for other people. So you can see doctrine and is, scripture gives us doctrine and then prophetic gives us what God is revealing. But God is not only revealing words, but he's also revealing himself in many ways. And one of those ways is God's manifest presence. God is revealing his presence to us all the time. And usually what we think of, when I think what, usually what I mean, what we mean when we talk about the presence of God is that when God comes and he is here with us, how does it affect us physically, emotionally, and spiritually? When we talk about the presence of God coming, those are um, three important things to consider, um, and so his manifest presence then would be, how is, it, how is he affecting us physically? How is his presence manifesting right now on our bodies and in this room? 
And so I want to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And before I we'd get into the scriptures, how when I first started getting prayed to be filled with the Spirit, my experience was a lot different than a lot of people's. Um, I was the guy that, you know, we'd be in a circle with 20 or 30 people, and they instruct us, okay, wash your hands. I put them out to dry. And now, some of you got that. Uh, <laughs> and now we're going to pray, Holy Spirit, come. And then we're just waiting. And I was the guy who was like, man, that clock is ticking really loudly on the wall right now. And I'm a drummer, so I'm like making a beat to it in my mind. Like, <laughs> then the person leading is like, more Lord. I'm like, okay, yes, more Lord. Okay. I'm sitting there. And I'm like, I wonder if that sound is the air conditioning vent. Or if it is, like. And I, I'm, my mind is just trailing off into stuff like that. Then they're like, we receive you, God. I'm like, yes, we receive you, God. Okay. And then the person next to me, like, just bursts it out into tears. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe I should try to cry, so. Uh, uh, okay, well, I guess I'm, tears aren't coming, but I'll keep trying. You know? And then someone else starts laughing, and I'm, like, chuckling a little bit because um, they're laughing, and their laugh is making me laugh. And I'm kind of hoping that as I start, It'll just kind of like naturally go. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, not that time. <laughs> it's like pulling a, a string to start a lawnmower, you know? I'm like hoping it like, like happens to me. Um, and so then we wait a little bit longer, and I'm just like, oh, my legs are tired. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'll just kind of stand like this. And, and, then they're, and then it's like, amen. And people are like, amen. That was so refreshing. I'm like, yeah, that was so refreshing. (laughs) Um, That was my kind of early on experience. And I always wondered, like, is there something wrong with me? Am I not doing the right thing? Um, Am I not, is this not an experience that's for me? And then I encountered some um, different Christian traditions that would say that, well, why are you praying for the Holy Spirit to come when he's already omnipresent? It seems kind of like, a redundant thing. You don't need to say, Holy Spirit, come. He's already here. I was like, okay, I guess that makes a little bit of sense. And then there was the, um, then I heard a different tradition that was like, the Holy Spirit is, when, when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Bible talks about that, what the Bible is talking about is the regenerative work the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. That when we get saved and we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Holy Spirit comes into us and changes us and makes us a new creation. That's what it means to get filled with the Spirit, and we shouldn't expect that to happen over and over again. That happens one time at salvation. So I was like, okay, um, kind of makes sense, but it, uh, seemed, I guess all these people then are either lying or faking it or getting caught up in emotion that I've seen. So, and so I was confused. I didn't really understand. Uh, I didn't know what I should think about the Holy Spirit. So rather than keep thinking, rather than uh, keep looking into my experience to decide what I believed about it or listening to what other people were saying to decide what I believed about it, 
I decided to get into the scriptures and see what the scriptures have to say about it. And so that's what I'd love to do with you all right now. Um, If you wouldn't mind, we're going to kind of be bouncing around a little bit. But for now, go ahead and turn to Acts 2. We're going to read four verses, and what I first want to do is address the topic of what, topic of what does it mean when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is in us? Is it really just the regenerative work that God did in our hearts at salvation, or is there something more, an experience that we should expect as believers over and over and over again? That's the place I want to start. So let's read verses 2, 1 through 4. Okay. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit... And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So what a lot of people would say is that the disciples received the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit came into them and did his regenerative work in their hearts. They became new creations. And then this one thing happened to happen where they started speaking other languages. But we shouldn't expect that to happen when every believer gets saved. That was something specific to this time period. That's what some people would say. And let me just ask you all a question. Since we're talking about when the disciples received the Holy Spirit, how many of you think that the disciples received the Holy Spirit here in Acts 2? Okay, a couple of bold ones. Um, How many of you think they received the Holy Spirit at some other point? The fact that about a third of you voted (laughs) um, tells me that there's not a ton of confidence about this, okay? But if I'm, with, if I'm being honest, I always thought that, yeah, Acts 2, Pentecost, that's when they received the Holy Spirit. Duh, it's obvious. Really, they did, that was not where they received the Holy Spirit. Okay? And Acts 2 is not where the disciples received the Holy Spirit. Yeah, something happened there, but it wasn't the event of them receiving the Holy Spirit. In fact, let me take you to where it did happen. Turn with me to John chapter 20. So we just read about Pentecost. And Pentecost was before or after Jesus' ascension? After, right? Okay. So now let's read a passage about before Jesus' ascension, but after his resurrection from the dead when he appears to his disciples. So, we're going to be in John 20. Read with me in verse 19. So when it was evening, on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, 
I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. When I first read this, it was a surprise for me. I was like, what? I thought they received the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 at Pentecost. So is this like an error? Well, no, the Bible's infallible, so it can't be an error. Could they somehow be the same event? I'm like, well, it's act- Pentecost was clearly after Jesus' ascension, and this is clearly before his ascension. So what do we make of this? What I've come to understand is that there are two primary ways that we as believers interact with the Holy Spirit. And the confusion comes from when we try to make them the same thing. Okay? There is a difference between the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit on us. There is a difference between the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit on us. In fact, if you look back into the Old Testament, you never hear any talk about the Holy Spirit being in any of them. Because it was before... Christ came and made a way for the Holy Spirit, for God to come live in us. You never hear about the Holy Spirit being in people in the Old Testament, but you do hear about the Holy Spirit being on people. The Holy Spirit came upon, or the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and he grabbed a donkey's jawbone and slayed a thousand men. Sign me up for that spiritual gift. Or the Holy Spirit came upon this person and they did this. The Holy Spirit came on this person that did this. The presence of God would come on a person, but then it would leave after a while. And when we read in Acts, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to his disciples that in a few days from now, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and a fire. And then he goes on to say, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then a couple days later is when Pentecost happened. So, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit in us, what we're talking about is what happened at salvation. What God did and how he took, he, there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us now. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit on us, it's... A different thing. It's his manifest presence being on us for a specific purpose. Okay, so let's read in the scriptures a little bit more to to um, examine what it means that when the Holy Spirit comes on us. So let's start by reading verses one through five in Acts. Sorry, Acts one. Acts one verses one through five. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, 
Jesus says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want to take a second and demystify the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we hear the word baptism in Christianity, a lot of different images come to mind. For me, having grown up in the vineyard, when I hear the word baptism, I imagine a piece of the stage being removed, what looks kind of like a hot tub being in the stage, people coming out, everyone smiling and clapping and rejoicing, and there's worship music blasting, and they um, get dunked totally underwater and brought up, and everyone cheers. Some baptism services don't look nearly as celebratory as that. Some include sprinkling water. I don't know what your particular image is when you think of the word baptism, but what we all would probably agree on is that a baptism happens like once. Or I know a couple of people that they got baptized as like a kid and then um, kind of fell away from the Lord. But then when they came back, they wanted to get baptized again. And of course, that's totally awesome. But it's not something that we as believers continually do over and over and over again. It's something that just happens once or maybe twice. And so when we read, when we have that understanding of the word baptism and we read, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, the error I think we make is we automatically assume that that, that phrase, baptism with the Holy Spirit, is something that only happens like once or twice. When really, what we should be doing is taking a look at what does the word baptism actually mean. And yeah, maybe baptism with water could mean one thing, but how might that be different when we hear the phrase baptism with the Holy Spirit or of the Holy Spirit? So if you do look at not the English word, but the Greek word in the original text in this chapter, the word the Greek word for the word baptism is baptizo. And it simply means to be immersed. So to baptize something is to immerse something. In fact, the term was primarily used by leather workers when they would immerse and finish the leather in a particular fluid. So baptism simply means immersed. So another way we could read this passage is that you will be immersed in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, with that said, what I want to do is read verses 1 through 4 again and see if you guys notice something, okay? So, in, a, in the passage we just read, in verse 5, just to say this before we get to that passage, Jesus tells them that they will be what with the Holy Spirit not many days from now? Baptized, right? Okay? The days go by. And then let's read what the author writes in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, at the actual event. So again, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So, in the first passage, Jesus told them they would be what by the Holy Spirit? And then in this passage, what does it say? They were filled. So it's like, what, did uh, Jesus get it wrong? Or 
Like, if they were going to be baptized, why did it say that they were filled when the event actually happened? Well, I think the logical assumption to make is that being filled and being baptized are the same thing. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit is the same thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know a lot of people at, like, they had like a first-time experience where they got filled with God's presence, and it was really dramatic. And yeah, that can certainly happen, and that's valid. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit means nothing more than the filling of the Holy Spirit. They're the same thing. In fact, if we read further in Acts to Acts 10, we won't go there for the sake of time, but when Peter is speaking to um, the first Gentile household, the household of Cornelius, it says, Luke the author writes that before he even finished his sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on those that were there. And that term fell on was primarily used to refer to like someone getting mugged. Okay? So basically, as Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit mugged everybody in the place. <clears throat> and so it's like, wait, but I thought it was baptized. What about, so we got baptized, we got fill, we got fall upon. Why all the different words? And I think the reason why the scriptures use so many different words to refer to this event is because it is such a dynamic experience that one word in and of itself cannot fully illustrate all that the, that the filling of the Holy Spirit is. The Bible uses a number of different terms to give us kind of like a full, rounded out picture of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Also... Take note, in one of these passages that we read, Jesus told the disciples they had to wait. He told them, pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. So sometimes there's an element of waiting in this. I know for me, I didn't really feel like I experienced getting filled with the Spirit until I've been waiting for it for like a year. Maybe some of you are in that waiting phase right now. And when we're in that waiting phase, what actually happens is not so important, but our attitude is. If our attitude is, okay, um, this didn't happen this time, but I'm going to keep on anticipating this because it's because God, because Paul told me to in Ephesians 5, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So if that's my attitude, it's just going to be a matter of time before I experience the presence of God physically. If my attitude is, well, didn't happen this time, so I guess it's not for me. I mean, imagine if the disciples had had that attitude. If while they were waiting that, those 50 days for the Holy Spirit to come, if week one went by and they said, well, I guess he's not coming. Jesus must have had it wrong. Let's just go back to our lives. Who knows what would have happened? So our attitude in the waiting is what is critical. And maybe you're like me a couple years ago and where when you're in a circle with people and they're saying Holy Spirit come your most thing you're experiencing is hearing the clock tick on the wall okay if that's where you are that is okay okay my encouragement for you is first when we start comparing what God is doing in us to the people around us we just are automatically walking down a dangerous road We don't need to compare what God is doing in us to anyone else. He is doing an amazing thing in all of us, whether I'm feeling something right now or not. 
And uh, secondly, I would tell you, keep that attitude of conscious anticipation. Because God loves to reveal his presence to us. God loves to reveal himself to us in every kind of way. And uh, sometimes it does take that period of waiting for whatever reason he chooses. Okay. So with that said, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back out. And uh, we'll just pray together. Jesus, you are king. You are on the throne. We thank you for that, God. We have nothing to fear, nothing to get anxious about because of you. So help us to trust you more and uh, with each passing day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Luke. So we're going to move into the next part of our service where we'll receive communion today and offering and and head into worship right now.